0: Hey guys, welcome to the Lifesaver podcast. That's Lifesaver with a hyphen and Savor with an O. Lifesaver is dedicated to appreciating life. I'm your host, Eric Victor Reed, and here on Lifesaver, we like to talk about life. We talk about ideas, perspectives, experiences, and even some wisdom about how to live with a sense of peace, freedom, and exhilaration. We look for life lessons and ways to love life. Please join me as we delve into the good stuff. We're speaking with my mother, Christine Mikulishek. For most of her life, she's been a professional sculptor and nomadic adventurer. We explore her life and life lessons over four episodes. This episode covers her years as my mother, raising me to adulthood while still managing to have adventures and pursue her career as a professional sculptor. There's lots to learn and reflect on over the next hour, so let's jump right in. Last time we left off, you got pregnant with me. Yep. You're uh, you're pregnant in San Francisco. Yeah. This is 1968. Eight. Right. I think it was, I don't know. I'm October. born July 1969. Yep. So, that was probably a really fun time for about nine months there.
1: <laughs> what, what was that like? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well, you Pretty know. miserable. <laughs> It it was interesting. Yeah, I I have to say by the eighth month, I couldn't wait for it to be over. The actual, you know, having the baby is, they always ask you on a scale of one to 10, what's the pain level? I would say, you know, it's a 12. But also, it's like the hardest job with the best paycheck, truly, because then all of a sudden it's over, you know, baby's out, it's over, and there's this like new life. It's really, and it turned out to be you, which is especially good. Uh. I have to say. But right away, so I got to say, so since we're talking about you, I want to say this. I think that people have a basic nature. A lot of things change as they grow and learn. But I think there's a basic personality thing or wiring or something. Because when I first looked over, your eyes were wide open. You were not crying. Looking around the room, you were quiet and watching. And you've been kind of like that all your life, quiet and watching. True. True. Checking it out, you know? And babies are, are, are so different when they come out.
0: So I'm there. So how difficult are those first few years?
1: Well, Actually, I was planning to just go to uh, Utah and get a job at U.S. Steel, Geneva Works, and because I had that kind of lined up, the possibility as an assistant engineer or drafting person or something. Because at that time, you had
0: some uh, some engineering yeah. uh, study that you had done.
1: Oh, yeah, because I'd gone to Heald Engineering College right. for, I guess, a year. And I liked it. I liked those courses. I did well at them. And so anyway, I, I had communicated with... Geneva Works. And there was a possibility. And then Burgess said that he'd like to be a family. So I said, okay. And he just gotten a job with Hewlett Packard in Palo Alto as a tech writer. Mm-hmm. So I quit school and moved down to Palo Alto. And we shared an apartment. And um, he offered to pay my expenses, living expenses for the six months after you were born. But the plan was that I was going to go back to engineering, mm-hmm. you know, resume that. But actually having you was a benefit in another way I come to came to realize later because it stopped me in my on my track. Mm. It stopped me. It made me pause and take some time off. And during some of that time off, I started drawing mm. again, but like seriously drawing. And I just realized that I didn't want to live without that. I never thought of art as a job opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if I was a structural engineer – it would be a lot of good things but i would there would not be time or space for pursuing yeah. art and it was kind of an emotional period well it was emotional anyway when you have a kid you know but anyway i started doing attending a life drawing co-op in Palo Alto hmm. and having live models it wasn't a class it was a it was a co-op where we just all pitched in to pay the model and people and we just we had a good time. It was one night a week. That was like my only thing with art. Um, when you were a baby and I just knew that I, that, that was my, that was my path. I had not, I want to point out discovered sculpture yet at that point, but drawing was magical for me, just like it always had been when I was a child. So it kind of got me back into that and I decided to pursue art. Besides, I always had to have a job to pay the bills, but that was not, to me, that was not a problem. Getting a job, working, you know, I worked at some fancy restaurants where I could work four or five hour dinner shift and make plenty of money, you know, for like four nights a week and make enough money to live on. So, okay. yeah. And so that's what I, I pretty much pursued art. Excellent. Okay.
0: So you're in Palo Alto. Uh, my biological father, Burgess, is in Hewlett-Packard at that point?
1: Yeah. And he worked his way up. So he was trained as a tech writer mm-hmm. at Hewlett Engineering College. And he had a history degree from Tulane University in New Orleans. But the history degree wouldn't get him a job, you mm-hmm. know. So he—that's why he got the did the course in tech writing. That's
0: where you guys met, is yep. that? Um, yeah, when, technical college
1: we met and we had so many ideas in common, I had just read The Fountainhead but see when I read The Fountainhead it was like I have to say it was exhilarating for me because I felt like someone who was intelligent and wrote a book agreed with me because mm-hmm. up until that point I was pretty much the black sheep outcast you know I walked away from religious family from religion which meant that I had to didn't have a lot to talk to my family about mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had all these ideas in my head that no I had known in my family and home wanted to deal with or talk to me about. Because I was thinking about ideas all the time, like you. I think that, is there a gene for that? I don't know. I was always thinking about, you know, the better ideas, the better way to live, the better way to deal with reality and stuff. And so here I read this book and here's this intelligent, smart woman who says, yeah, you're right, basically. (laughs) So it was very affirming for me. So then I met Burgess, and he's this very intelligent. He was this amazing fog cutter brain.
0: Very cerebral person. Yeah,
1: cerebral. That's what I meant.
0: What I just have to ask do you remember, was it a particular class that you guys had together? or I just love how, you know, how did people first meet? Like, did somebody have the courage to come up and talk to somebody, or was it just a...
1: You know what I bet it was?
0: Somebody, you saw somebody reading something, or...
1: I don't remember the moment, but you know what I'll bet it was? It was probably one of those serendipitous things like conversation in the coffee room or in the lunchroom at the college and overhearing one of his extremely lucid... You know, what Burgess right. would do is he'd listen to people bat, batting something back and forth, right. an issue, an idea, whatever, and he'd sit there and listen and watch, and his eyes would start to glitter a little right. bit, you know? And then when there was a pause in the, the what was going on, he'd say something that just, like, cut right to the heart of right. it and dissolved all the peripheral, yeah. unimportant stuff. He had a knack for that, right? Yeah. I called it a fog-cutter brain. And maybe it was one of those moments where where he just dropped a remark, and, and it was so, in line with what I was thinking. Saying, and oh, with that's
0: impressive. Ayn Rand's <laughs> ideas,
1: and I probably would have, knowing me, would have said, Wow, I like that, yeah. you know. And then we just, we just, because ideas were extremely important That's to both of us. Quite a mind in there. You know, you you can do worse than to have a baby with a best friend. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're both rational people and you can work it out, you know. That because we weren't really romantic. That's the crazy thing. We weren't. It was just one of those things. I don't know. We,
0: yeah, admiration, I guess. Yeah,
1: but it all worked out great for the for the best. And Burgess decided even though he wasn't prepared at first, uh, then he decided about, he wanted to be involved. So
0: You're about 22, 23. He's about 26, Yeah, I think he's about three
1: years or four years older than yeah. me, I forget. Yeah, and anyway, so it all worked out. It was hard for us to live together because he's kind of emotionally repressed, and as you probably, as you know very well, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, he was kind of...
0: Well, you guys were opposites. I mean, you were very much the same in terms of certain things and then completely opposite in certain personality things.
1: But we remained friends throughout the years. And of course, we both have cared about you.
0: So at a certain point, you guys... Switch it up and move.
1: Yeah. So what happened was, I I was working these restaurants. Well, actually, I got a job through Kelly Temps mm. with a division of Alcoa, a construction right. division. They were building subdivisions south, you know, south of San Francisco. And I found that I really liked accounting. I was actually offered position in San Francisco at the division at the headquarters of Alcoa, the sort of world headquarters, and at a considerable increase in salary. And I turned it down because. That's not. So I made a choice to not climb the ladder Hmm. and to get that truck and camper and head off across the country to New Orleans.
0: Yeah, that's a really defining moment. Not doing something is sometimes as defining as doing something.
1: Oh, yeah. I I mean, you have to know what's going to be good for you, what you can live with and what you can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. so. So you're there and then why do you guys move
1: okay so i was i worked there actually for uh 3 years when you were little mm-hmm. and i was bored and so i was working there during the day and the pay was not great but then i got a job at a fancy steakhouse at night mm-hmm. dinner shift four nights a week that's where you learned to count money mm-hmm. my dear because you were just this little kid like you were 3 maybe mm-hmm. And I worked there for six months at night. And I'd come home from work and dump out my tips on the floor. And you'd sit there and push all the nickels and all the quarters. And we didn't get dollars so much back then. But it added up to quite a – and all the money I made, base pan tips from that job, I saved up to buy a truck and camper Hmm. to have the big adventure. Oh, okay. And that's when we – that's what it was. That's
0: when we went on that trip.
1: Yeah. And you had just turned three. Yeah. I think, when we left.
0: No, that trip, we went all the way from California to New Orleans. Yep. And yep. stops along the way, of course. Why did Burgess agree to do, to do that? It um, seems be- like a very adventurous, non-planned Kind of
1: yeah. Why did he? When he was
0: so focused
1: on <laughs> you know, know career and I don't know. You know that's a really good question. How, how long were we gone on that trip? Um, well, the idea was we were moving to New Orleans. That's why he went. Uh, I'm sure.
0: Okay, that's a good trip. Just love he? New Orleans, or did he have a job opportunity there?
1: No, huh. no. It was that we because we had gone to New Orleans two times in the winter.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, in the
1: winter. And and I fell in love with it yeah. and he liked living there and we thought, well, we need a change, you know, let's go live in New Orleans. I guess that's what <laughs> happened. And so it was like it was an adventure. And so we got there. The, the unfortunate thing is when we got there it was in September. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was not the winter. <laughs> and I never I I never had any experience with hot humid and I just I couldn't do it. And it was the night before we had to sign the lease and it was one of those hot humid nights in September and I just knew that i could not i couldn't do the climate no and he kind of agreed too because he'd gotten used to living yeah. on the west coast and and it was just kind of pretty miserable
0: yeah so so well, I could have been a New Orleans kid.
1: Could have been New Orleans, New Orleans. Orleans kid. Yeah. Instead, what happened was we just fired up the truck and camper and headed back west, and yeah. we we almost stopped in Colorado Springs. That was very attractive. Now wow. I
0: remember a uh, late at night lightning storm. Oh yeah. Somewhere I don't know, maybe halfway between New Orleans and California, but yeah. is that is that right?
1: Oh, probably we had some we had some real weather. And we actually saw the storm we were driving into. It was the sun was shining where we were. And we saw this like black wall. And there was a rainbow. It was just crazy weather. And there was there were some bolts of lightning in that black. It was like a black curtain hanging in the sky. Very dramatic. And you remembered that for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was going out there. But on the way back, one of the things, wow, I remember we were in the Oklahoma Panhandle in this camper. And the wind was just, mm-hmm. do you remember the wind mm-hmm. was just, cause, because that's a real windy place anyway. And the wind was just tearing across. Mm-hmm. And it kept rocking the the truck. And, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it was terrifying yeah. for me. And I was an adult. And it yep. felt like it was going to just... Catch because you know a camper is like a sail in the wind and yeah.
0: yeah I remember that you know it's one of those things I talk about in my book of like you know there's there's scary moments in life dark moments but they leave an impression an aesthetic experience right and I treasure those you know those uh, those memories yeah um, they're like wow nature is big sort of thing you know <laughs> so that trip to New Orleans and back now you get back do you guys. Thing. No,
1: we went didn't go back to California. That's when we started living in the Northwest. What happened was coming down out of Colorado, we went through Utah or whatever is there. I guess Utah, and then we were looking at a map. Well, should we go this way back to San Francisco, or should we go this way up to Portland? And there's this highway, and I had never been to Portland before. And there's the highway seventy four, whatever eighty four, goes uh, Columbia Gorge Highway. Mm. And yeah. we, saw, we saw that, that, oh, well, there's this highway that goes through Columbia, along the Columbia River into Portland, Oregon. Mm. Let's see that. You know, we'd never seen it before. Without, what did me in was Columbia Gorge. Okay. Driving yeah. in Columbia Gorge, That's it was really like, dramatic. if there is such a thing as a landscape of the soul, yeah. I thought, okay, I'm home. This yeah. is it, you know. And then, as soon as you hit, like, Hood River, and mm. you, uh, you're on the west side mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the Cascades, there's all these giant Christmas trees. Well, having lived in Southern California, well, and the Sequoias and the Sierra, they didn't have Christmas trees. They had ponderosa pines, mm-hmm. you know. I loved Christmas trees, and it's the first time. And I was just enthralled, these giant Christmas trees on both sides of the highway, you know, both sides of the river. And so I was kind of in that mood by the time we got to Portland. And Portland looked to me at that time like a city that was struggling to grow up amongst a forest. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always so green and lush. And, yeah. and so that was kind of it. We just decided to that it was, we were going to settle there for a while.
0: Yeah. yeah. What was your first town in that area? Was it downtown Portland or was it?
1: That was the little house in Goose Hollow that I shared the rent with. David Diving Horse was his name. No kidding. His name was David Diving Horse. And he was involved in theater and some other things in town. And anyway, I think I I don't know how I found it, but he was looking for a roommate to share the rent. And But that was after Burgess had gone back to Palo Alto. Oh, uh, okay. So Burgess and I got an apartment there. It was in Portland. Yeah. And then Burgess was offered, he was always offered you know mm-hmm. employment at Hewlett Packard. I forget how long he stayed in Portland, but he went back to probably a matter of months. Palo Alto, yeah. A yeah, okay. matter of months. So and then I was living I couldn't afford the apartment we were in. Mm, okay. And then I got the offer of the to share the rent. Yeah, and so what I I wanted to say that I had already started drawing. Okay. So I peak. think that's how I hooked up with David Horse because I was already involved with some art There was this wonderful gallery. What was her name? Sylvia owned it. This woman, really romantic woman who had romantic taste in art, ran a gallery upstairs and down below, because there's this huge underground city in Portland Mm -hmm. from the old, old days. Um, And so down below her her street front.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, that gallery.
1: But down below there was this huge labyrinthine uh, area that she also had a lease on it. And she had separated it into workspaces for artists and craftsmen. So you could have, without having to pay rent on your, it was possible to have a public place where you worked and sold your work um, downtown without, I mean, how many artists and craftsmen could afford the rent Mm. on a whole place. And so it was really a good deal. And I had a space down there. Where I actually sold, I was commissioned to do pastel portraits. I did, sold drawings of nudes. And I really, that was my first professional art gig. Hmm. And I think it's just because I walked in, I saw work in the gallery window and walked in and met Sylvia, I think was her name. And we hit it off and she showed me the space and she saw my work and said, would you like to, you know, and the rent was only like $50 a month or something. It couldn't have been much. So of course I had a job. Um, I worked at a big hotel restaurant complex on the west side hmm. nendels
0: uh, nendels yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and actually i trained as a bartender there too right. and i worked so i worked there i always had a job you know to pay for everything and i was sharing the rent with david on the house at goose hollow and that's where you took the walkabout you know you just were a walkabout kind of guy even from a young age i guess
0: yeah so the story there is uh, oh. i just um, the guy who was watching me probably was sleeping. It was David. It was David. Okay, because and, um, I was
1: out of town for the night, and I had said, you know, David, I, I'm, I'll be back. Can you watch Eric? And you know, he liked you, and you liked him. I mean, you knew each other.
0: Yeah. No. Um, but he
1: was asleep.
0: But I think uh, <laughs> my memory is I was just looking for mom, and so the natural thing is, you know, well, she's not in the house, so go out and look. Go out and look outside the house, and so uh, I just started. I went out the house and just started walking down the street, figuring, you know, you can just find people. Like, people will just come to you if you just walk down the street, (laughs) because (laughs) I was an idiot, four years old or whatever. Uh, And then a a mean lady grabbed my wrist, and I really objected to that. I didn't like that. She took me to the police station, and they gave me candy bars, and everything worked out fine.
1: Oh, except I was absolutely terrified, because I got home about maybe a half hour after you had left, and you weren't there and David was just waking up, and he didn't even know you weren't there and so Of course, I was terrified like yeah. the worst thing that can happen is for your kid to
0: one of those be moments, gone you know?
1: right and then so then. I contacted the police. Uh, I probably could barely speak. I was so upset, and <laughs> and they said, "Oh, and you know, ask me some questions." And I, they'd already talked to you, and and yeah, I think we, I think, uh, I think you'll find him, you know, here. And so I went down to the police station, and there you were. And they were also, they, you know, the guy, the the officers, they just thought you were great, and. Yeah, we gave him some bubble gum and he can blow these really big bubbles. You know, they were talking about what a cool kid you were. And they said, of course, well, make sure your doors are locked from now on in a way that an enterprising young man can't let himself out of the house. <laughs> and I just remember I was just like holding you in my arms. I was just so grateful to have you back. And I remember asking you if you were scared. And you said, so you, God, you're always like this. You said, um, no. Well, only when that lady grabbed me. <laughs> of course, thank you, lady, for gra- grabbing him. But that was the time you were scared was when the strange lady grabbed you because you thought you were just fine. You were going to go find me at the studio or something. We used to walk between the Goose Hollow house and my studio.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So I probably thought I had some idea.
1: Yeah, you thought you were going to go to the studio well, and find was. me or something, you know, in your four-year-old mind. But you were always a pretty enterprising but only okay. So that's probably the worst. That's funny, thing.
0: actually, because I I do have a vague memory of like knowing where I was going. Yeah. And then some lady grabs me. I'm yeah. Going, Why are you interfering with me? Yeah, yeah. That's um, what you said at the time. I didn't realize we had walked there a number of times. Yeah, we
1: walked. Okay. We walked.
0: That makes sense in my brain now. Okay. Yeah,
1: we walked between the studio and the and the house. I it, wasn't
0: that dumb. I was no. a little dumb, but no. not that dumb.
1: Okay. No. <laughs> I just want
0: to um, introduce the next period. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned the gallery.
1: The gallery, and that's where I met Tom, yeah.
0: So you you actually met him at the gallery?
1: Yeah. Okay. um, Because I had asked, because I admired the sculptures. They had some element, you know, wild elemental thing about them. And I had asked the... Sylvia about them, and he told she told me that. Oh, okay. So you know what else it was? I know what it was. By that time, I had started learning to carve marble at Portland Community College. Portland Community yeah. College. That's the big life change right there. Yeah, is when I stumbled into the life sculpture class. Yeah, and that changed my life. That changed my life as much. Well, almost as much as the entry of you. You know, the yeah. advent of you in my life. Huge. And these were all good changes. I yeah. mean. So that can we can start on the next one, the next session with me uh, meeting the sculpture instructor at Portland Community College, who knew how to carve marble. Yeah, and that was the beginning of like everything changed in my life. Yeah, and it wasn't marble at that time that changed me. He taught a life sculpture class, and I it was the first time I ever saw people pushing. You know, I'd push clay around trying to make pots on a mm. wheel. But using wet water clay to make figures.
0: Yeah, and that's another, you know, junior colleges are great because for a relatively low cost, you can explore things that you may never have even thought of seriously until you get to try it and it can be life changing.
1: Yeah, you don't have a huge investment of money or expectations yeah. and so you're kind of more relaxed about it. you can stumble you can into a class things here or there. yeah
0: it doesn't have to be you're on this path you know right which can be intimidating it's just like well, exactly you, you know, i try this and, and lo and behold you know you, you hit something
1: it's like you're not going to disappoint anybody yeah. if it doesn't work out yeah. it's just you try stuff it's exploring and that's the way you stumble into right. what you need to do in life is just trying stuff. Yep. You use the word I love instead of saying follow your follow your joy follow or bliss. follow your bliss. It's follow your fascination because yeah. because let's face it, you have to be fascinated with something before you get to the point where you have a passion for it. You don't even know until you try something. It's the fascination that gets you, yeah. you know, the first steps, the first and, involvement. And, and-
0: fascination that keeps you going despite the non-blissful times which there are plenty of when you're struggling yeah uh, when you're trying when you're not doing as well as you oh. wish you could do <laughs> and, and it's like this is not fun why am I doing this well no it's not fun but you are fascinated with it yeah Um. and yeah. you want to get better yeah and that's what keeps you going yeah I wanna get back into your, I'm about three or four. You start carving marble at Portland Community College PCC and also doing life sculpture and around the same time you meet and are impressed with Tom Pemberton
1: yeah so what happened was I stumbled into well I because I of what I said about forest lawn and seeing marble Mm -hmm. when I was a kid I always had this fascination for how do they do that and when I have that kind of fascination it doesn't really doesn't leave me Mm -hmm. (laughs) for decades you know
0: I want to stop you there because that is a really important thing a lot of people they let it leave them people Get on paths of expectations from right. their parents or society. What is a success, quote unquote? And they they don't pay attention to their fascinations. But you did,
1: yeah. You,
0: it just you couldn't let it leave you.
1: I guess I was asking about if they knew anybody who knew how to carve marble cuz I wanted to find out. And they referred me to they said, "Yeah, Russ and he was the sculpture teacher at the Portland Community College." And so he said, "Well, you can you can come and just try this in this back room here where I, we were where we were where he showed me the stuff and you can come anytime you want and just sort of practice and see if you like it." So anyway, I kept going there and just, it was just fascinating. Okay. So it turns out that right next to where I was, where I was working in a little back cubbyhole room. And so not far away was a door into the main studio where he taught sculpture. I, one day I, happened to, I guess I opened the door, looked in, and there was a life sculpture class going on. Hmm. And I saw people standing at easels with dinner knives and wet clay, water clay, and they had a model, a live model. And I watched them, you know, forming the clay to look like the model. And so I stood there and watched. Talk about fascination. This was like the meat hook, you know, I got hung up on. I watched and I just, it's like my eyes, I was doing it with my feeling. It with my eyes, you know, the clay and the... uh. And so about the second or third time I was standing in the doorway watching this, Russ noticed and said, you obviously are interested in this why don't you join our class? And I said, oh, well, you know, it's too late to register and I can't really afford it. And he said, well, just, I need more students who are fascinated, who really want mm-hmm. to learn this. So, and there's room and I'm not going to tell if you don't kind of, you know, he was joking about it. He said, nobody cares. Just join the class. And I did. And that was it. Yeah, That changed my life, yeah. my whole whole life. So then I started making figures out of clay and it was quickly became something I could not get through a day without doing. It was just addictive for me. Yeah. So who knew? Who knew? I just stumbled into it. Mm-hmm. But I was following a fascination that yeah. s- got me stumbling in the right direction, you know? So it was, you know what it felt? It was like, have you ever watched ducks walking on land? You know, how they kind of waddle and they look sort of... And then they slip into the water mm-hmm. and they just glide. That's what it felt like mm-hmm. to me. Like I'd found my pond, yeah. you know? I was just glide. It was just... Easy. Not that I was doing great stuff in the beginning, but it just felt like something I knew how to do viscerally without no training yet. Okay. So then I found out that, oh, the clay dries out and cracks (laughs) and falls apart. And I realized, well, clay, you know, you make something you love out of clay, and then how do you keep it? So I asked those questions. And Sylvia at the gallery said, oh, Tom Pemberton, whose sculptures I had admired in the gallery, has his own foundry. And he built his own foundry, and he's friends with a bunch of other guys who built their own foundries, and they he knows how to do that. And I, oh can i meet sure next time he comes into the gallery she said i'll just bring him down to meet you at your studio here so that's how we met oh,
0: fantastic yeah so tom pemberton um <laughs> i just have to do a little bit give a little background background yes. um let's go all the way back to uh he he looked like a let's say a, a tall welsh mountain man black hair black beard
1: with silver streaks with in it of course freaks. yes
0: He could have been a pirate, buccaneer, or a mountain man. A kind person and twinkle in his eye. Very knowledgeable of science, engineering. His... So Pemberton... (laughs) I remember doing a report (laughs) on um, a general... A general Pemberton? In the Civil War. There was. Um, when I was in fourth grade, I think I did oh, that. Oh, my. <laughs> and then um, also his forefather, great-grandfather, or great-great-grandfather. I think it was
1: a great-great-great-uncle.
0: Was John, John Pemberton. John Pemberton, who invented. invented the Coke recipe.
1: Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Yeah.
0: Um, That's a great story. Yeah. And then Tom himself, he grew up in Chicago. and then
1: No, he grew up in... Uh, louisiana
0: Uh, well he was in chicago for a while that's right i Um, forgot about i think when he was very young it was chicago and then uh, then louisiana and then um he shipped out uh korean war he came back did the gi bill he had a did he have a master's in science
1: oh he did he had so he he had an engineering degree right and then um louisiana state lsu
0: worked for a petroleum company as a
1: he worked on oil rigs. That's how he worked his way through college, right. actually. Oil um, rigs off the coast. Of, of and he was kind of in that,
0: you know, that milieu of uh, serious business type people. And then he had his accident, which right. changed his
1: life. And by the way, he was he was in Montana working. He and his family were in Montana. He had a job in installing those, those ICBM missile silos. Ah, uh, right. Um, yeah. when they were now they 've dismantled all of them, but right. they were putting him in then that yeah. was his job and he and it was a terrible devastating accident and
0: yeah. yeah so he was hit by a drunk driver. Um, basically ate the steering wheel and um, oh. was in a coma for how long six months, or
1: I forget, but he was in the hospital for over six months. yeah, and they thought um, they have tried to cut his leg off, and he and he heard them talk, the doctors talking because it was smashed. it was so seriously smashed. Yeah. It wasn't just fractured, it was just smashed and and he heard them talking, and he sat up in bed and bellowed, You will not cut my leg off. <laughs> and he said, well, it's it's dicey. It'll take be a long surgery, but we'll try to fix okay. it. And yeah.
0: Did, yeah. Uh, so he survived that, yeah. obviously, and then yeah. um, while he was in coma, I remember him telling me he had these deep dreams yeah. about meeting basically an Indian spirit guide. And when he came out of coma, my understanding is that he was a changed person. And of course, there's nothing like that to give you mortality awareness too, and that's um, right. That's right. And make you ponder what is really important. And so
1: it stopped him on his track,
0: right, yeah. uh, on that path, on and. That um, path. He got off, and over a certain number of years, he became an artist. He was a good sculptor. No longer an engineer or wearing a tie and all that. Grew a beard and eventually moved to Washougal, Washington, Washington. Uh, which is close to Portland. I
1: wanted to say that he was a science teacher.
0: He was a science teacher in junior high. He
1: was everybody's favorite
0: Um, science teacher, actually, um,
1: except the administration.
0: right. (laughs) <laughs> because he was probably too creative and he
1: yeah he'd he'd take his go off curriculum and he'd yeah. take his students out to actually do stuff you yeah. know
0: <laughs> so all that is his background and, and when you meet him he's what 40 when
1: i met him he was i was 26 and he was 42 42 okay
0: uh so he's had a whole life 41. behind him a rich life and he's come yeah. into his niche of uh he built his own foundry he
1: was a great welder
0: Uh, Great welder. And then uh, you got closer to him and we visited his uh, foundry in Washougal, which is right on the river there, steelhead running. And then I remember just from my perspective, I remember sometimes uh, like there's a big party out in the woods. There's like a bonfire and Credence Clearwater playing and... I remember boots stomping on the ground. Uh, just a just wow. a backwoods hoedown kind of. Yeah. I, I love that. That's a great nice. aesthetic experience for me in my wow. memories. Um, but it was that kind of vibe, you know. Yeah. And his friends were kind of rough around the edges. And Jim Brothers, Jim who also Brothers, built
1: a foundry. Yeah. yeah.
0: I love the memory of those people in those times. Good times. Good times. So
1: I told, I basically went and visited Tom's foundry and I, I said, look, you know, I want to do sculpture. I need to find out how to make it in bronze so it won't fall apart. The clay won't dry out and fall apart. I said, I will sweep the floors. I will do anything, you know, to, to help yeah. To in exchange for if you'll just let me be here and learn from watching and learn how to make molds and do casting. And then he said, well, okay, yeah. you're on, you know. And, and then, of course, we ended up falling in love and
0: being. There's a whole journey there. That was a whole journey and then basically he became a part of our lives from I'm gonna say, I don't know, three and a half to four years old.
1: You were about four.
0: Um to the time I was eighteen yeah, yeah. when I left home. Uh well, seventeen. Well, actually you guys left home, but uh <laughs> <laughs> I stayed in Ashton <laughs> until I left Ashland, But um, he was basically, the big picture here is it's about 14 years of, yeah. of him being a big influence in my life. And, and one that I'm really glad that I had.
1: Me too. You
0: know, there, there's always things that, you know, you don't agree with people or whatever personality differences. Right. But overall, I think, you know, I look back to him as as a role model of strength, as a man. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, and how you could also be a creative spirit and also be strong as a man that it didn't have to be just mr tough guy right uh and it it didn't have to just be mr creative cerebral wimp it could be a mix exactly yeah so over the next 14 years Mm. let's make that a unit of time yeah okay um let's let's get into that a bit we don't have to spend tons of time on it but we'll do some broad outlines
1: I was already hooked on sculpture when I met Tom. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing about sculpture is I got the fascination turned to absolutely driven passion to not just do it, but to get better at it. Mm -hmm. And so I was driven to keep getting better and better until I could do what I had in my head. And so I was just like, whatever time and energy I could sneak, I put into that. But I was still working at a job, of course, always. And of course, I was taking care of you. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just in case you ever wondered, because I know I was driven, but I hope you know that you were always number one. Yeah. Maybe you didn't. (laughs) know Sometimes, because I was so occupied with sculpture, but you were always the most important. yeah. I mean... You know, how kids are, right?
0: You always try and do both, you know? Yeah. I I think people should try and do both. I mean,
1: like you raising your kids, you've always tried to pursue your own thing, Yeah, lifesaver and that
0: sort of thing. Um, But when push comes to shove, there's no question that the kids... but you try to push and shove a little bit to get your own thing too
1: sure sure and i think that finding that balance is really good push and
0: shove your kids but you know but you try and push and shove your life a little
1: bit (laughs) to make a little room (laughs) for both exactly so that's what i was doing that's what i was doing and then tom and i became very intensely sort of joined at the hip For me, it was probably the first time in my life that I was just completely, madly, blindly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't say that in an entirely good way, in love. And when you're that kind of in love, I found out that you don't necessarily see the hazard. Um, Yeah. But then sooner or later, you deal with them. So anyway, I learned everything about sculpture from Tom. And it was about five years before I had my first sculpture edition produced which we cast at the foundry. And so I got to the point where I finally got my first, remember the Wilsonville farm? That's where mm-hmm. I made oh, the yeah. seated gypsy. Oh, yeah. Remember oh, in the little kitchen cubby so that's in the corner, the corner there?
0: Wilsonville, Oregon is mm-hmm. outside Portland. We were there. I was um, in the end of second grade through fifth grade. That's about a few years from when you met Tom. It's when we finally settled in Wilsonville.
1: Yeah, that was a few years later. We we had the boat works, uh, Netta oh, right. Boat Works on the Willamette <laughs> River right there at John's Landing. Very for,
0: interesting life. Uh,
1: <laughs> and you had a boat.
0: For a kid, yeah. You
1: know. And we had all those puppies. Yeah. What a um, life. It was an interesting uh, life.
0: Quite an adventure. Yeah. Quite an adventure.
1: Yeah. Because we had a foundry, which was like 100,000 pounds of heavy stuff, yeah. you know. Um, and
0: I, I want to mention, too, that sculpture, and especially bronze sculpture, is not for the lazy so <laughs> you you have to both be, you know, emotional and care about feelings, mm. but also be willing to work hard really with hard. material stuff and also do a lot of math and science. Yeah. So it's not just throwing pots on a pottery wheel, although I don't mean to people who do that well that I admire those people but there's so much material in and right. just science and engineering and all that stuff in addition to the creative part
1: Right that's
0: right Uh it is definitely not for the lazy
1: Right Ma- so making sculpture you know what I found over the years? It's interesting that a lot of sculptors have some kind of an engineering or mechanical background, and that makes sense because because you have to. It takes a lot of pre planning.
0: You were doing some sort of industrial uh, wax work.
1: Yeah, actually, I got it, a job. Sure so one thing about me is I always, unlike Tom, I always had to know where the rent was coming from three months from now. Right. And Tom, remember, his classic line is, something will happen, something yeah. will work out, right? And often it did. But,
0: damn it, it did. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. But I would go out and get a job if I couldn't see. Oh, oh. that's
0: what happened. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Oh, that's <laughs> what happened. Chris went and got a job. It'll and, work out somehow. Yeah, right? So it was called precision cast parts. Yeah. And they made titanium implants way back when you were like in fourth grade or something. So that was a while ago. Uh, Sorry.
0: Mid-70s, we're talking. Yeah. 77, 79 probably. Late 70s.
1: And so I worked there. Actually, I I learned all about wax injection. That was fascinating.
0: But yeah. Team period in Wilsonville, we were there for a few years. Most of my life, we were moving like... Every year or so But in Wilsonville We were there for a few, a few years And that was a very uh, Important developmental time For you I feel like Because Just like you were saying earlier You were working on your own Serious pieces Right The big one being The seated gypsy With the crystal ball What was that period like When you were really Coming into your own Major piece of work I remember you working Just late at night With the wax burning oh In the kitchen Yeah With the light The smell on. of
1: The smell of burning wax yeah. Right Yeah
0: You go to jail for that now But
1: Oh I know But you know <laughs> What, if I, when, your kid to when you walk in, wax into, fumes. When you walk but into the room it. and you smell it, yeah. you still feel it. Oh, well, absolutely. Right. Me too. Yeah. I go to a foundry, commercial foundry, absolutely. And, and I always hang out in the wax it's, room. It's like
0: <laughs> one of my favorite memory smells. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so what was that like taking on that major project? You mean the the, the gypsy? Gypsy,
1: the crystal ball. Oh, as you know, it's extremely precise oh, right. detail. Very, very detailed. detailed right. the... Very clean, crisp detail. Yeah, those
0: projects. Yeah. not
1: impre- Nothing impressionistic about it, but it was a good job. And so I'm a perfectionist. So that was for me sort of like Michelangelo when he did, not comparing myself in any other way, but when he did the Pieta. It's like really clean, polished surface. Mm-hmm. They say that he hand polished the whole surface fifty times, mm-hmm. and I know how that's done now. Right. Well, he never did that again, right. because life is too short, and also because he found out, as I found out, that tight detail is not very emotive; that it slows down the motion and the emotion mm-hmm. uh, of a piece. Well, I, let me ask:
0: How long did that seated gypsy take? I mean, you're working and you're also taking care of a kid.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was at least a couple, three years yeah, I was okay. working on it, probably. But I worked on it every chance. I, as you know, every chance I got. When did I you
0: got. start the, the dancing gypsy?
1: Dancing gypsy. I think I started on while I was working on the seated gypsy. Okay. Right.
0: So still, finished, still Wilsonville.
1: But yeah. I finished yeah. it when we were in Carmel. I don't think I had it finished when we went to Carmel, moved to Carmel. But it was absolutely addictive. What can I say? I just worked. At- I loved it. I love doing it. I love the crafts, the crafting of it. The you know, you showed me that book years later called Flow mm-hmm. and I recognized it. Mm-hmm. Right away, uh, the op- truth of that
0: optimal experience. How it yeah. feels
1: when you're engaged, fully immersed in doing something that you know how to do,
0: but it, it, and you it, love doing. But it. at the same time, is a little bit challenging. Yeah, yeah, always. So it, it, it's right on that edge. Always challenging. Like, yeah. Wow, I'm able to do this hard thing.
1: Yeah, it wasn't and easy. And I'm yet.
0: also figuring it out right as I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, Unless there's more in Wilsonville you want to. No. Okay. So at the end of fifth grade, so I'm around 10, around 79, 1980 ish, we. Pick up and move down to California.
1: Okay, one thing I want to say, what else happened when we were in Wilsonville and the reason we moved? There were a couple of trips all the way down I-5 to Carmel because we were selling work. Tom had gotten his work into Zantman Gallery. Oh, yeah, Zantman. Gotcha. we deliver sculpture. So, So during the year or so before we moved, what happened was there was a steady demand for Tom's work.
0: It seems to me he was good with people.
1: He was charismatic. He was charismatic. <laughs> I was going to interject that a while because, ago. I
0: mean, you he know. He was very
1: charismatic.
0: He had already, I mean, he'd moved from science teaching to, you know, having stuff in galleries. He didn't seem like he was afraid of approaching people. No. Nah. Um, God. <laughs> and, I mean, that's such an asset to have when, to be creative and have the confidence for marketing, he yes. is, is a really yeah um, it's a really uh, rare combination.
1: <laughs> right. He was very charismatic and there was nothing because he was skilled and talented, he was a very capable person yeah. and he came across as an extremely capable smart person right. And so he was very persuasive. Yeah, yeah yeah okay.
0: I just wanted to verify that it's not my, just, just my imagination because I never dealt with him uh, as an adult. Right. Who didn't know him. So to me, he was just always, you know, stepdad or dad or whatever, my father figure. But I never really had to be in the position of meeting him as a stranger and what that would be like as an adult, you know, Mm. what kind of force he was.
1: Right. uh, He was truly charismatic. Like
0: a life force. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, he was because he didn't ever try to charm people. Right. Exactly. His charisma was just the opposite in a way. It was, but he was not, he was not rude, but he was just... But
0: he was a presence.
1: A powerful presence.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All so, right. So go ahead. Sorry, I, I cut you no, off. No, that's okay. I was just curious about that.
1: So the Zantmans who, you know, I didn't particularly like, but they were no match for Tom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was and they were a match for any other artist who ever walked into their store. You know, yeah. I mean, they 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 talked about their stable of artists, but right. you know, Tom was yeah, good luck with Tom. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but not anybody's horse. But anyway, he was successful. They sold his work. And so we decided that there was as far as professional career goes, the prospects were. The other thing is, we didn't want to keep driving down I five mm-hmm. to from Wilsonville to uh, yep. Carmel, and so we decided to pack up the foundry, <laughs> all hundred thousand <laughs> pounds of it, and um oh, God. and all of our our molds and our stuff in a <laughs> in a moving van. <laughs> and, that You're was chuckling. You're an you <laughs> and um, move down to California, and we just wanted to find a place that felt right, that would be close to the market, that would. Be- oh, the other thing is, we really kind of wanted to be in a community of artists, mm. and so mm-hmm. maybe that's why we ended yeah. up in Carmel. Yeah, and we were, weren't we? We yeah. were in such a community of artists. We were the new kids on the block, but boy, artist central. Yeah we did well and
0: not just you know visual but uh, writers oh, and yeah. uh, musicians and our
1: friends well let's see one of them Bob Campbell yep. wrote Murder Mysteries and he used to be a screenwriter in Hollywood mm-hmm. but quit that because he was an alcoholic and when he quit drinking he had to quit Hollywood yeah. <laughs> anyway really good characters and the Chinese man do you remember Yeah, um, I can't remember his name now I can't either. but he did like, special effects or movies right. yeah. like The Time Machine and so very interesting characters yeah. and, and our friend Denny and mm-hmm. uh, and his and yep. his wife, who, who was a sculptor, that taught me something about. See, I I love impressionistic work or mm. abstract, if it's truly an abstraction of something important. Yeah, and that's what Denny did so well. Yeah, right. he did work you might call abstraction, but like he did one that was I don't know it was called White Bird or something. But I when I first saw it in a gallery across the room, I could like feel the. The wings yep. moving, the flutter of wings. And that's what I mean. Abstract should be an abstraction of something important, something have meaning. It should have meaning. But yep. anyway, most mostly people think abstract means, you know, just meaningless. But anyway, really interesting people. Uh, we actually met Clint Eastwood because his ranch was right across, the entrance to his ranch was right across Carmel Who was also the mayor
0: room. of Carmel.
1: For a brief period, For a yes. brief period. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. While we were there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. You know why? Because the stuffy previous mayor, it was a woman who was so full of herself. And uh, two reasons. One, they had given him a lot of problems with a building permit that he'd applied for to do something with the undeveloped lot next to his hog's breath Inn, mm-hmm. Just because they could, yeah. they were giving him grief. <laughs> and so he'd gone through that but then what fi- the f- straw that finally broke it was they passed an ordinance that disallowed the sale of ice cream in, in the in Carmel by the Sea, what ice cream? Really, and and that's what he said. He, I guess, went. I'm not sure if it was a council meeting, city council meeting, or where this happened. But the story goes, he said, he said, you have taken this too far. You're, and he called them fascist dictator, <laughs> and this will not stand. You've no. taken it beyond the pale, and of course, she said, well. What yeah. are you going to do about what it? And he said, it. I am going to run for mayor <laughs> against you and you will be out on your butt because I'm going to win. And of course he did. I mean, name yeah. recognition, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then everybody, but then all the tabloids across the country, Clint Eastwood wants to be president, you know, this is the beginning yeah. of his political career. And he just laughed about that. He said, no, I like to make movies. I would never, ever in this lifetime, yeah. any lifetime want to go well, into politics. Uh, so. The funny
0: thing historically is that's exactly about the time when Reagan, yeah. a former actor, takes off. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm just curious, what was the reason for no ice cream?
1: Oh, because little kids might, you know how little kids are, and the ice cream, scoop of ice cream would fall off of their cone onto, because this had happened two or three times, onto the sidewalk and melt and make a mess, a yeah, sticky I, I mess. I do
0: remember that argument now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, wow, we got to shut down the town. There's, <laughs> there's ice cream on the street. So
1: <laughs> stupid. <laughs> it's
0: basically a tourist town. with right. a lot it was of a artists.
1: tourist town. With definitely. a lot
0: of art galleries. And yeah. And so we yeah. don't want Carmel to be represented, not. Yeah here. Yeah, we're because fancy.
1: they were a little too full of themselves. Yeah, very and full of that's themselves. Clint Eastwood just kind of. And by the way, he was a he's a very modest person. Usually people who do things very well don't are not yeah flaunting it and boastful he's actually you know he drove an old pickup truck this is true yeah. and everybody'd see him like at the stop sign go, go, waiting to get on the highway or something yep. oh there he is there's clint eastwood in his truck and he wore you know plaid shirts i mean he's just like regular and that's why he stayed in carmel because he could he could for the most part live a normal well sort of normal life even after he got very famous yeah,
0: they anyway. say uh, those who can't do teach. Uh, also, those who really can't do go into politics. Probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean, look at the people who have been career politicians in uh, in America, in our country. They really don't know how to do anything in the real world. Yeah. Except so
0: try to boss other people. Yeah. So fill us in. It can be brief. A few years in Carmel.
1: Okay. So we went, as soon as we got to town. We got uh, Tom already had his work with Zantman. We met people, artists and, you know, people who live there right away because we were on a mission to find a place to set up a foundry. And that was, we couldn't stay someplace if we couldn't find a place to set up the foundry. We actually ran an ad in the paper. We put posters around everywhere. We did everything we could to let people know that we we needed, we were sculptors, we have a foundry, we need A space. We looked at stables. We looked at all kinds of places. Well, we found this house. It was a couple miles out Carmel Valley Road. It had been a housing for migrant workers, for field workers. The last people who had lived there had been evicted under contentious circumstances. They hadn't paid the rent for a long time. The landlord basically got them kicked out. So to avenge themselves (laughs) on the landlord, they killed a bunch of chickens and kept a bunch of cats and dogs in the house for a month or two before they left. Before they killed they, a bunch of chickens
0: in the house.
1: In the house. <laughs> and kept a bunch of dogs and cats and kittens and Enough puppies like in heads. the house. So Files there were of chicken heads. And... Animal, there were chicken heads, feathers, animal feces everywhere. It was a mess. And it was not habitable for a lot of reasons. There were windows broken and stuff. And it was just a wreck. But it was a big house. And we wanted it because it not only had room for us to live, but it had that big room for a studio. Mm-hmm big long room for a studio. And we thought well, maybe we can teach there. Maybe who knows. We were always trying to figure out how to make a living. So, But we needed a place to work. And so we found the landlord and said, if we clean this up and make it habitable, can we lease it for a year, four or five hundred a month? So we did. We went to work and we cleaned it and disinfected it and we lived there. And I it was th- it was pretty neat.
0: <laughs> I still remember that, that long room. That most people would use as maybe this, maybe the second uh, living room or something, but it was, it was just big. A, it was basically yeah. a wax studio. Both had your stations in there. We made molds
1: there. We we did wax work. We did our own sculpture. We had sculpture mm-hmm. tables. It was what we needed. It was a good studio.
0: And then how do you transition to uh, Monterey Peninsula College?
1: So we had to set up a foundry somewhere. So we kept looking for foundry space. And um, somebody referred us to Peter, but he was the ceramics teacher at PCC. And he thought it was would be brilliant to have it set up at in the art department at mm-hmm. PCC or MPC. We, he said, come on over and look at it. You can look at my place, you can look over the whole thing. Well, his ceramic studio was in the engineering wing, what had been the engineering wing of MPC, um, because he needed lots of electricity for kilns and stuff. And it had the 440 wiring, you know, yeah. heavy-duty wiring and stuff. And that's, of course, what we needed for our foundry, too. So anyway, we looked around, and we were like, oh, this would be, like, too perfect. <laughs> well, anyway, the head of the art department was named Joe, and he guarded his realm, like, with spears, you know. Like, he wasn't going to let anybody in that was a better artist than him or that might take away attendance, of classes or popularity or I mean he really was a jerk yeah. okay so P- peter said well we i think we shouldn't talk to joe about this first because i know he's going <laughs> to say no Meet me at a certain, I'll make an appointment for you to meet Max Tadlock, mm-hmm. who's the president of the college. And you can present this to him and then he can talk to Joe. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Joe was extremely, when it came about, he was just totally pissed yeah. for, uh, for the whole time we were there because we'd gone over his head. We didn't, <laughs> Peter did, but it didn't matter. Well, Max listened to all this and he was so a little background. Well, you remember Max so oh, well because he like adopted I, you. I he love thought, Max. Yeah. He thought you were just the best thing since sliced bread. He was great. He was a great guy. So he had this spirit of big ideas, you Mm -hmm. know, big, this is, and he heard what we had and he said, this is amazing that you could, you mean, he said, you mean you can set up a whole sculpture department like practically overnight in our college? He thought it was the most amazing deal he'd Mm -hmm. come across in a long time and he told us that, he let us know. He said, so I'm going to talk to the people I need to talk to Make sure that there's no, you know, legal barriers or anything. Uh, But I'm sure this is, I want this to work. And so it came back that, yeah, they wanted us. So that was, you know, the rest was wonderful, right? We were there for three years, I think, at MPC. It's really.
0: I just have to say, a really interesting place to grow up too. Yeah. Uh, we lived there for a while too in a camper, and uh, but it, just being a, a young man, like eleven, twelve, thirteen, formative years with a bunch of grownups, adults who were into art and sculpture. And
1: yeah, interesting
0: period of my life.
1: So it was a community of artists and writers, and and we also we became kind of a go-to place for art questions, mm-hmm. and especially how to get art done questions. Yeah. It makes you kind of official in a way. Yeah, in a way. Right. And so we were pretty well respected. It was a nice, it was a nice gig. So what happened with the house was after we'd fixed it up, we lived there for, what, a year and a half. So our first year's lease had run out. And what happened, we were really good friends with the owners. Remember Tony, who was Mm -hmm. the son of a (laughs) mafia (laughs) couple? And he became a good friend. He wanted to own, he wanted to start, open a gallery. And at a certain point, we we got a little ways into that and decided we probably shouldn't go into business with him. Uh, he was a nice guy, but his background. Once you
0: get in, you yeah, can't get out. <laughs> yeah,
1: And so we learned also that a lot of mafia keep their families in Carmel. The owners of it and Tony was a friend of theirs, they sold the house to somebody else. And so we could not get the same lease. They said, well, you can stay if you want, but the rent is going to be, it was more than twice what we were paying. And we couldn't do that. And so I found a motor home that we bought. We got a car loan. The payment was like $100 a month. And the college said, we would love to have you park it. You can hook up. You can park it right outside where your studio and foundry is at the college. And you'll be like 24-hour security on that end of the campus we and said
0: they got artists in residence so.
1: max cleared it as installed us as artists in residence mm-hmm. and that was how we got to do that and so then why the- did we leave So why did we leave? Oh, yeah. Sad story. So why did we leave? Well, I wanted to stay, except Tom and I were getting into some serious trouble in our relationship. And I decided to leave to get away from the relationship. Because, you know, Tom could be very caustic and judgmental in the sculpture area. Mm -hmm. um, Because he was the master. We always had the arrangement that he was the, he was a master, I was the apprentice who came to learn from him. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I considered myself less. It's just that I always thought that if I worked hard and got as good as I could be and got really good at sculpture, that he would be proud of me. But just the opposite happened. He became increasingly hostile and he became and he became critical and hostile in front of the class, like put me down for no reason in front of the students. And my work was selling better than his at that point. And I didn't keep score like, you know, because I, I don't have that kind of ego. But he did. And I never would have suspected that he would have that, what do you call it, pocket of insecurity or whatever
0: uh, it's yeah it's a it, it's a stereotypical man uh, response i mean i've felt it at times i don't take it seriously but men in particular can be very susceptible to that and it's something you have to talk yourself down from
1: okay and
0: he never talked himself down he from he did it. not yeah
1: at that time, he did not. And yeah. so, in fact, at that time, he was full of angst. He was very, becoming very hot. He would like turn on me. And that we were like joined at the hip before that, you know. That had never happened before. And he turned on me just when everything was going so well and we were a success. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of, the, he, you know, he was the, the love of my life. He was the one that I thought would last forever. So I was profoundly hurt and disappointed, and I didn't know what was going on. So things got worse and worse between us. And then when I got a glimpse of what was going on, I realized that the only way that I could stay with Tom would be to sh- like shut myself down, my best self, mm-hmm. my best work down and somehow get back to my humble apprentice position and I mean that was not something I could that's not gonna happen, you know, life goes on. So I decided that I had to leave. And I thought he would stay there and keep teaching. Because I mean I couldn't ask him to leave, obviously. It was his foundry for one thing. And I decided to leave. I was gonna go to Coeur d'Alene Idaho because it was beautiful country and I knew a couple sculptors there and there were foundries there. And I was still headed there when I left, but then Tom said he was coming with me. And so he came with me (laughs) and we all moved up to Ashland. Well, we weren't going to, we weren't moving to Ashland again. It was one of those things we were going North. And so why did I not leave him? Because it was very hard for us to call it quits. Uh, Yeah.
0: That's normal. It's really hard. That's one of the hardest things in life to do. Yeah, Uh,
1: We were so, we were just so bonded.
0: And love is incredibly complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I hadn't really stopped loving him. It's like he had turned into this different person person.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do you make of that? Yeah. Know? So, well, maybe he'll change in the future. Or maybe... Well, and of
1: course, he said, I'm sorry, I can't live without you, I want to come with you. And that's what—that's yeah. why
0: we left. So. Uh, we pack up another truck <laughs> and, uh, with that foundry, and um, we head up, and we actually stopped in a town in California before we got to Ashland. Um, and I actually started school briefly uh, in that little town. Stayed oh, there.
1: I know where it was. It was Weaverville.
0: Weaverville. That's right.
1: It was uh, the yeah. Trinity Mountains, the Trinity Alps. I wanted to live there. Yeah, that's where we were going, actually. We went to Weaverville, and then why did we leave?
0: For some reason, we headed up to Ashland.
1: I know, and I wanted to stay in the Trinity Alps, and I can't remember why we left. It probably had something to do with with Tom,
0: but I can't remember. Maybe it's one of those But I remember we went up to Ashland, and um, uh, we crossed the the Oregon border. Yeah. We got pictures of that. Yeah, and, um, yeah. From but for some reason we came to Ashland. Yeah. Do you know what the deciding thing was? Because Ashland was a big part of my life. That's where I went basically to high school.
1: We found a shop to rent right. in Ashland. On Do you remember
0: Water, Water Street?
1: On Water Street. Yeah. Water Street. Good job. I, uh, so we were probably had our foundry set up there for the first 8 months, 9 months that right. we were in Ashland. And then we found the Oak Street house. I'm Boy. starting
0: to get memories. This is the early 80s, and MTV is just starting to come out. So for my generation, <laughs> I remember watching MTV videos. when They were just coming out, and I was just like, wow. Anyway, sorry. That's See, just you're cult-
1: jogging my memory because you remember. a cultural reference. Anyway, so $80,000, we bought that place, and oh. we got a bank loan. But it was a lot at the time. Yeah. And so... I worked. I mean, I worked fingers to the bone uh, to to uh, at sculpture mostly commissions. You know, I worked. For, I did stuff for ceramic houses and and to pay to pay the mortgage. I love that. I love that place.
0: From your perspective, what was what was the Ashland experience like?
1: Oh, it was great. I loved the theater scene and there were a lot of artists of all different actors, actresses, wardrobe people, set designers, you know, just and painters and okay. just a lot of artistic people. And yeah, it was a it was a great setup. Yeah, so I worked really hard, but I I loved it there. And I decided I actually made a decision when I saw that Ashland High School was a good place and you were starting high school and I th- knew that we had moved around a lot all of your life. And and I thought it was time for to stay put so you could have a chance of developing some long-term friendships. Mm. And that turned out to be <laughs> quite a good outcome on that score.
0: Yeah. So in my <laughs> talk with Tanya, my wife, uh, so we met in Ashland and then we've been together mostly since then. Yeah. So that decision led to Tanya and I ultimately getting together and having kids who are now um, roughly 17 and 18. Yeah. So about the same age as when I left Ashland. That's right.
1: Anyway, I it was partly for you that I wanted to settle down there and stay in one place throughout your high school years, and I almost did that. You, you managed to finish high school. <laughs> That's getting ahead of my story, but not really. Actually, I loved my home there. But during that period in Ashland, one of the things that happened is I was always working my butt off to try and pay off the stuff, the, the debt, that not just the mortgage, which I was happy to work on because that was my choice to, to buy the house. But um, he kept running up debt mm-hmm. without me knowing about it. Like there was a credit account at the builder supply and there was a credit account here yeah. and he borrowed money from that guy over there. And I didn't know about it. And so I was always saying, well, how do you expect to pay this off? And he would say, well, something will work out. And <laughs> that's not good enough for me. But the other thing is, so he was about 55 to 58 during this period of time. Mm-hmm. And he kind of quit in a way. Mm -hmm. He lost his ambition, his drive. I felt like if... If we were a team in harness, one of us was missing and the other one was pulling. Mm -hmm. And he just wasn't engaged like he had been before. He used to be driven and he wasn't anymore. Mm. And I got overwhelmed. And I said things to him like, if you're not, I need help, you know, paying these bills and paying for the house. And he said back to me something like, well, it was your choice to buy the house. So it's on you. I mean, this is, you know, relationship stuff. That No, I know. It gets messy. Yeah. And so Kind of threw in the towel at a certain point. I just got overwhelmed. I couldn't do anymore, and so I said, "I can't do this by myself." You know, I'm gonna. We're gonna have to sell the house. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, so that's why. It happened. So we listed the house in, I don't know, October of your senior year, thinking that by the time you finished high school, hopefully maybe the following summer it would sell and we'd move on. Well, it sold for full asking price in a month and a half or two months. And we had to be out by the end of the year. And so we moved everything out into a storage locker and you and we made an arrangement with a, a young man who was an art student at the local college and had been worked with us as an assistant in our casting and stuff, and was a good friend. Yeah, Kevin. 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 Yeah. And Maya was that her name? What? Something like that. Yeah, and they were a couple, and they uh, had an extra bedroom in their apartment, and so we made a deal with them that and we paid the rent. It wasn't much—hundred bucks a month. Yeah, for the rest of the your final term in high school, and then you paid every because you had a job, mm-hmm. and you paid for everything else, and you wanted that.
0: And yeah, that was great actually, because uh, I was together with Tanya at that point, and so yeah. we had a crash pad. <laughs> um, as opposed to living with my parents, so <laughs> that was, it was nice.
1: That worked out great. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah,
0: and there was a level of freedom during the final six months of high school that was yeah. actually nice.
1: And, you know, I, I thought, because I'd always kind of raised you to be independent, and I thought that, and I was confident that you would be fine. So you leave Ashland. Where do you go? During that period of time, we basically made... Uh, bought it for 80000 sold it for 130 mm-hmm in what four years so we both ended up with i think a check for each of us ended up with a check for twenty five thousand or so yeah. that was nice we were going to go take some of the money we'd made from the house sale and go to europe because i'd never been to europe oh, at yeah, that point
0: I remember those plans
1: but then he had this ulcer thing so he couldn't walk and so during that time we took a road trip discovered friday harbor just because it sounded like an interesting place friday harbor on san Juan island we got off the ferry it wasn't the plan we were going to go over to sydney over to vancouver island but we got off the ferry because of the name and as soon as we get off the ferry there's this sign right in front of us reed gallery well there was a reed gallery we knew reed from reed gallery in carmel yeah. we thought could this be the same oh. one and it was yeah. it was the same uh, owner you know so anyway one thing went to another and uh we decided to move to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to friday harbor in the years that followed, I became aware of, it was almost a legendary thing that, that couples would come to San Juan Island to a remote place, and, like an island, you know, that seemed so magical to try and save a relationship. And I don't know, maybe that's, that's probably what was going on with us too. But I'll tell you, once we got there, once we got there, you know, it was over in six months. Yeah. I finally pulled the plug on it. And, yeah.
0: and, Islands tend to clarify problems n- in a relationship.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the because you're
0: you're with each other. There's not a, lot, a right. lot of distractions.
1: And so I don't know what the crime statistics are now on San Juan Island, but at that time when we went there, it turns out that really the only violent crime that was happening was murder suicide. Yeah. <laughs> Usually He's, couples. The couples. Yeah, it was always couples yeah. who went there as a last ditch effort to save a relationship, and that didn't work, so they just ended it all, or somebody did, <laughs> or homicide. You know, yeah. domestic violence. Anyway, so. Fortunately, I just pulled the plug out of the relationship finally because it had become, it had become toxic. I mean, we just kept trying to fix it and we couldn't. And roughly
0: what age are you?
1: So at that age, I was only, so when we moved to San Juan Island, you were finishing high school.
0: So if I'm around 17, you're probably around 40.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because I always told people, oh, yeah, I was done being a parent when I was 40. (laughs) And I had this whole great life after that. A
0: whole life ahead of you. (laughs) So where'd you
1: move to? <laughs> so my that
0: the little cabin?
1: My friend was Susan Harris, who she introduced me to Inez, who had this log cabin mm, on Yacht okay. Haven Road, right. and I got to rent it for $75 a month. It did not have running water. Right. Okay. <laughs> but that was okay because I joined the— I was actually healthier during that time than I had been for a long time. I joined the athletic club in town, and I just drive in every morning and take a shower and work, or work out and take a shower, and I loved that time. Mm-hmm. I loved that time being yeah. there. So
0: now we're entering a new chapter.
1: Have we finished the years together? The shared (laughs) life, the shared life?
0: I'm already off on my own. Oh gosh. Thanks for joining us for my mom's parenting years. Join us next time for her really big adventures. The ones that start after the age of 40. She's saved the best for last. With a newfound sense of freedom, she hones her skills as a master portraitist and spends a few years in Italy studying marble carving. She'll learn to fly an airplane. She'll take cross-country motorcycle trips. She'll hook up with an Alaskan sea captain and find paradise in a Mexican casita near the ocean. She'll even discover a love of home and family. This and much more next time on the Lifesaver Podcast.